What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 83 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Bittner, and I'm joined today by Ash Paulson and Andre Seegers. We have all three of us here today after only having one podcast in all of November because we were just that busy. But we're finally over that hump. We're in December. There doesn't seem to be any other major releases for the rest of the year, at least I don't think so, <laughs> other than like the Zelda DLC, but that's still not as major as a full release. But I think we've cleared 2017, guys, as far as game releases. Yeah. I mean, Thankfully. Derek, you you completely forgotten about. I am I am just aghast that you've forgotten about the Switch version of Ukulele. <laughs> I, I am just. That's true. I mean, the biggest game that everybody yeah. cares about. That that you know, I love dearly. <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah. I just uh-huh. I can't wait to uh, experience this game again. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. hey, it comes it comes with a patch built in this time, right? So it's a little I, I bit better now than it was before. Yeah, it's except like a whole now, new experience. Maybe except now, like it's I think it's even worse position because there's so many better games to compare it to now. <laughs> like Mario. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, even I I hadn't played it, but granted, Manhattan different time budgets and all that, but yeah, and yeah. time I've heard heard good things about uh, it's. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah. you played Hand of Time a little bit, didn't I, you? I, you I did play it? a little bit of it, and the bit I played, I was like, okay, I think I like this more than ukulele. <laughs> well, that's good, because when I first played ukulele, I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. Yeah, that's th- still, looking back, might have been the hardest review I did this year, just because I was like, I mean, man, I it was just such a weird combination of like, man, I really enjoyed some big parts of this game, but then other parts were just such a miss, and it was mm. just so so up and down for me. I mean, it really seems to go person by person because I've seen people just adore ukulele, just love it to death. And that's great. Good for you that you can enjoy something that I just can't. I can't find any joy in it. I mean, again, yeah, I was playing it. like Transformers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, granted, I played pre-patch, but I can't see a patch fixing a lot of the issues I had with that game. Yeah, yeah, no, because. Fair. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my issues were more structural with the game than the mechanical. Like, I know uh, Ash's review focused a lot on the frame rate issues, and which were a problem. But for me, like, that's not why I didn't like that game. I didn't like it because it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. If they patched in fun, then yeah, maybe this Switch version will be <laughs> worth doing. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just the, yeah. the letters for fun and with googly eyes. Yeah, we got fun in here, see? <laughs> exactly. I was seriously, like, the most tenuous like I've ever given. I was like, man, I... I did like it, but man, there are all these technical problems, and man, some of these worlds, I don't know. It was, that was one of the hardest reviews I think I've done for Game Explained. Like, it was yeah. just, I was so going back and forth to the very last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of hard reviews, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a hell of a month. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. That, that sounded like nothing, dude. You got to play uh, only two of the biggest games that you've been looking forward to all this time within weeks of each other. That sounds like an amazing time without... Any reason to complain? Oh, yeah. No stress whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that was ridiculous, dude. Those are two huge games. Yeah. Pokemon and Xenoblade. Mm. Yeah. I I have... Like, I thought I could pull it off, but I also thought I'd have more time. Like, I really did think I'd have more I time. Think, and I think Nintendo got it to us a little bit later than previous games. Well, yeah. So, yeah. We, I mean, we actually had a decent amount of time with, with Xenoblade. Um mm-hmm. I mean, it was a little bit less than before, I think, but it was still, I think, almost three weeks, maybe two and a half. About two and a half weeks, I'd say. Yeah, the problem was, though, that you had just gotten Pokemon in literally days before, um, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think for, you know, I'm sure we, I, maybe, I don't know, I'm sure 
there, I mean, there's a lot of crossover in those demographics. They're both RPGs. And here, you are a kind of RPG guy anyway, and you wanted to cover both of those games regardless. Uh, even though I kind of... I, <laughs> I was trying to encourage us to find someone else to cover them, but you wanted uh, to do both. So I, you didn't kind of bring them I did, yourself. because here's the thing. I... Th- I, I you... Put up, the, put up that suggestion, and I basically threatened you. I'm like, no, I want these. It's going to kill me, but I want no. them. <laughs> it's just because yeah. I was – because I couldn't – the thing is, uh, Ash doesn't have a way to record. I couldn't see anybody else uh, covering Pokemon quite the way, and especially the way we want to. And, you know, if you had me to, cho- had to choose between one of those games for me to cover, you would have chosen Pokemon, which, mm-hmm. granted, it, it, that, that's why I put more time into Pokemon because that's just – it's going to do better. I love Xenoblade to death, but Pokemon is going to do better no matter what. So that's why yep. the focus needed yeah. to be on there. So it was basically handing over the Xenoblade review to somebody else, and I couldn't do that. I loved <laughs> X so much, and I, I got such a kick out of that game. It's like, I need to play this. I need to experience it for myself, especially after flying out to Los Angeles to do that preview and really finally getting a sense of... Uh- how dare you confuse San Francisco oh, with Los Angeles? I'm so used I know, to flying out. How dare out you? I'm offended too. <laughs> California, <laughs> it's all offended. this. California is all the same. There's no differences. What are you talking about? Wow, wow, <laughs> you're going yeah. there, huh? Well, I, I would have loved. I I, I actually reviewed uh, the original game on 3DS. I would have loved to review two, but I knew that that would not happen. That or that would only happen over your dead body, Derek. And mm-hmm. besides that, I mean, you know, you guys. How would I would have? How would I have had time to review like an 100 plus hour game yeah. this month? I mean, yeah, I, I think you we briefly considered it, but but it was like no, Derek's got to do it. He's so excited about this. Plus, you waited the longest out of all of us to play it in the first place because you, I got to play it a bunch of times before release, and you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no real experience with it until that trip to San Francisco, and I just it, it really did just blow me away. Finally, seeing it in action, really getting a sense because. Again, watching other previews before that point made the combat seem slow, uninteresting, just not as, just not as interesting as uh, the previous games. I'm like, it got me truly worried about things. I just I was like, man, this game is not impressing me, and that's that's not a good sign. But again, actually getting hands-on time with myself, getting an earlier point in the game, learning the combat system through Demetrius at the tree of the from the treehouse, that really did just. Set my expectations Wait, so much. Is, is it actually Demetrius? Do we? Is that what we? Yes, I think we determined it yeah, was Demetrius. It was because <laughs> I did switch yeah. back and forth because I, I during I'm terrible with names, um, as you can tell with Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, I, I was like I I do know that I switched back and forth between Demetrius and Dimitri during that playtime, and I'm like thankfully he just rolled with it. So nice. <laughs> which like, one? Which one was the owl from? Oh no, that was uh, uh from uh, Sword in the Stone. That was um. Alchemy, or oh, Ar- 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 Archimedes? Archimedes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I think something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness, it was. Yeah, I'm very bad at that. And but yeah, getting Xenoblade early and uh, everything else. Like, there's no way you could have gotten close. Like uh, Ash, you might have been able to beat it with your time, but you couldn't yeah. have focused on any of the side quest, any of the side exactly. stuff. And that's really where a big pool of the game comes from. Like the story is fantastic. But it's all that extra stuff, all that extra world building and learning about characters and seeing different things and having all these possibilities that really drew me into the game. And I, I earlier on when I first started playing it, I was basically just decided, okay, 
probably not going to beat this. Going to try to get through as much of the story as I can, but I still want to, like, play it as if I was just playing it normally, just trying to keep to that. And uh, then I was, I ran out of time, got the 80 hours, like, all right, well, I didn't quite make it, but um, 80 hours is definitely good enough for me to give my full thoughts. And then I had a little bit of time after writing the script, and I kept uh, playing the game, and I was talking to Emil, who we gave the uh, our other code to, to help with the preview, and I found out that I was very close to the ending, so... The putting together the review was a blur of me waking up on the uh, day before, playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2 until I was finished, which was basically 4 o'clock in the afternoon my time, needing to rewrite the script to fix those things and also tighten some things up based on some Andre's, uh, some of Andre's uh, suggestions, which I think did make it a much better script. And mm-hmm. then, of course, actually put it all together and get it prepared. So I didn't actually get to sleep that night until what four a.m. Andre. Yeah, it was something like that. It's, I mean, we're the funny. I mean, we're always like down to the wire with these things. I don't like, know. If why we, we finish with six hours of spare. That's that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of time. <laughs> I I told Andre I was scared for his life because I I helped him with those notes. Like I took a look. Uh, I took a listen to it, like the first part of your original review, and I was like, well. Andre, you tell him to you know to change A, B, and C at, at your risk because I knew you'd already been working like day in, day out, night in, night out on this damn review, and well, I was like, it, man, you tell him now. It, it at helps your that risk. Derek already hates me, so I wasn't too <laughs> nice. There are time, there are points, especially during this time of year, I'm re- I'm just ready to throttle you. <laughs> this is why we work on the opposite ends of the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, Grant, you went to see your family for Thanksgiving. Granted, but like I'm like, oh my gosh, why is he away? I need him here to so I can actually focus on Xenoblade and not have to worry about updates and other stuff like that. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. I'm impressed you pulled it off. So yeah, you, you you play that game. You finish a 90 hour game in nine in nine days. You say yeah, so. no, nine days because I couldn't didn't get a chance to play it th- uh, on Thanksgiving at all. That was just sort of mm-hmm. the day of rest and getting food because. Yeah, I had no food in my house for a good portion of that time, too. <laughs> so it was either Thanksgiving leftovers or fast food at some point. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I'm okay. still, I'm I'm like behind the curve. I just now finished 100%ing Super Mario Odyssey. So, you know, well, you I'm actually, still on you, old Oh, you got every, every single moon? I got 999 moons. I, nice. I did everything. And I completely agree with everything you said in your review about the last 5%, Andre. Right? Every yeah. word of it. Completely. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, what what a ride. Um, but yeah, I did finish 100%ing it. I, of course, won't spoil, you know, what happens at 100%. But uh, if you've if you've uh, watched Andre's review of Super Mario Odyssey, you can take it to the bank that I agree with pretty much everything he said about the very last portion of the game. But still, what an amazing ride, right? Yeah, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah, it doesn't feel like a grind until you get to those final few moons. Um, yeah. Which, you know, the Kids of Mario Odyssey is still quite a few, given the relative percentage. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the game, for the most part, is just like, a, like a pure joy to play through, at least for me. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. But the thing is, I've, I've gotten to the point now, like, I don't, do I, am I going to go back? Like, I still need to finish the uh, the final two kingdoms. Act. No, you, you, you don't really. And, yeah, I don't really. I, yeah. But I also feel like I don't really need to return to it. I feel very satisfied with my playtime, especially since I spent a lot of time just finding moons during my, as I was going from kingdom to kingdom. Like, I tried to find as many as I could before going to the next one. So I still feel like I had a very complete experience with the game. And, again, it's wonderful. It is a fantastic uh, game. It's just a joy to experience through, uh, throughout the entire 
uh, game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you haven't seen everything it has to offer, but at the same time, you've seen, I would say, most of the best of what it has to offer. And I mean, I guess, I think technically, Andre, it's, it's 500 moons you have to get to, to technically get every... To see everything in the game, I think yes. is what it is. To I see, to see every side. major thing in the game. Yeah, yeah I think it's five hundred. So you know, you could just do that and really. Call oh, it I've done. Like, I've done yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I've done that. Oh, well, then yeah. I you just haven't actually to. beaten yeah. those levels. That's the thing. Oh, no, I mean, okay. I think part of what makes Mario Odyssey so great. I mean, I think I think you kind of need all those moons in order to make the magic of Mario Odyssey uh, fully what it is. In that, pretty much everything rewards you with the moon, so it encourages exploration. It's just that the side effect is if you're going for them all, you know you are gonna you are gonna have to grind out some of those. You're gonna you know finding those final few moons is going to be tricky or challenging or just not that fun. Um, whereas someone else may have come across those same moons in a different way, just because of how open the game is. And you know I like that those options are there. It's just that if you're going for them all, that's when it does start to get a little bit tedious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great because you have so many options to get to the, those limits, those those uh, that to get to five hundred, uh, you won't get the same as everybody else, other than you know, the obvious ones. But you know, it, so it, in that way, having that many moons is a good thing. But again, hundred percenting it is where you get into trouble. Yeah, yeah, Rel- relatively, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, hundred percent in this game wouldn't be nearly as bad as. 100%ing Breath of the Wild for me, at least. Like, finding every Korok seemed to be a nightmare, so... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, uh, the uh, 100%ing, it kind of came at the right time for me, because I didn't really participate in all the Black Friday craziness this or this year, because I don't, obviously, have time to play all the games I haven't already played, but <laughs> I did pick up a... Tw- my one purchase was a $25 copy of Nier Automata, just because I really wanted to try and play it before Game of the Year discussions because the demo sold me instantly, and I... Man, I'm really liking it so far. I haven't played it too much, but... Yeah, I can see why people have been whispering all in my ear all year about it. Like, hey, Ash, <laughs> come on, man. You gotta play this. And I'm like, I know! Yeah, it's pretty damn cool. So, we'll see. If I have time to actually finish it, I don't know. But, uh, you know, that was my one Black Friday purchase, and that's the... I guess the, <laughs> the game I'm trying to... The one other game I'm trying to complete before the end of the year. We'll see what happens, but well, the, the uh, fun I'm thing about that, on that now. The fun thing about that game, Ash, is that it has multiple endings that are worth hunting down. Oh, I know. People, like a, oh, B, I have C, to see D, all five D. endings. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been looking at ways, like, I'm, I've been looking at, uh, like, articles on the game structure and just kind of, and I've also been getting very helpful hints from fans on Twitter, like, hey, if you have limited time, here's how, like, the side quests are set up, so if you don't want to do them right now, you actually get a chance to go back and do them later, so, like, don't feel like you have to do everything before you move on with the story. So, I have been getting a lot of helpful advice from people who've already played it, and that's probably, I'm probably going to have to, like, take a balanced approach of doing some side quests, but just having to accept that I can't do all of them if I want to try to see all the story and all the endings before the end of the year. Yeah. That's kind of my approach to Xenoblade, because there's still yeah, plenty yeah, for me to do. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of my approach to gaming in general these days, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of has to be. I mean, Mario yeah. is an exception, because for me, I just have a thing where I it's like a personal challenge. I like to 100% complete all 3D Mario games, because I really like the brutally tough challenges that await at the end, usually. Odyssey might be an exception there. But, uh, yeah, so like 3D Mario is kind of like an, it, like an exception for me, but totally. Generally, I can't even think about doing everything in games anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, it's a it's definitely more of a challenge. I think my big December game, like you have Near Automata, I I I would like to go back and finish Persona Five. You know, go back to another yeah. RPG after doing two other major ones because that's you know smart. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, yeah, what I've played so far is great. And again, I don't want to have it be one of those that fall uh, to the wayside because I just stayed away from it for so long. So hopefully, get back into that and actually finish the game. Yeah, and I mean, hell, I was gonna, I was gonna have my next game be the Frozen Wilds DLC for Horizon, but I, th- I thought about, it, I was like, well, okay, the DLC I can push off. This is a full of like a completely different game that I should try to play before the end of the year. So already I've got stuff being stacked up into 2018, and it just never ends. Oh no, it doesn't. There's so much there. <laughs> it's just time after time, so much to play, and it's ridiculous. But what have you been playing, Andre? Uh, Stardew Valley. Still, I've been, okay. Uh, well, I mean, I took a like a month long break when Mario came in. I only just got back to it a couple days ago, briefly. Like I've been playing for a couple hours each night. Um, but I was hooked on it before Mario. The Mario just threw all that out the window. <laughs> um, but since then, um, I also got my sister hooked onto it. But she was a big Harvest Moon fan back in the day too. So when I, when I went up for Thanksgiving, I'm like, hey, you have to play this game. Um, and it worked out that she had she had just gone sick or was getting in the process of getting sick. And uh, so when I flew back and the cold got the better of her, she's like, man, I'm so glad you told me about this game because I have nothing to do and I am loving it. Like, I'm just sitting here <laughs> sick and I'm playing Stardew Valley. And she's already in winter now. She started like four days ago. Oh, my gosh. Already in winter. She surpassed me. I'm still in fall. Like, I'm on fall 20-something. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've myself been hooked on this game, and I also got some another friend hooked on the game, and so it's fun going through the game with with other people playing as well. We're like comparing notes because I've been intentionally avoiding looking up too much about the game, um, although the game is annoyingly vague at points of mm-hmm. like how the systems work uh, fully. So I have been looking up a couple of things, but I've been trying to avoid like relying on guides too much. But I kind of like the process of discovering as much as I can by myself, um, especially in a game like this where I think so much of it is. You know, because we're dealing with we're dealing with like pretty like uh, mundane tasks, you know, for the most part. So <laughs> yeah. the rewards are uh, pretty small in nature. But in this case, like when you find something small, like when you upgrade your watering can, you can water five things at once instead. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just having a blast with this game. Like I I was a big fan of the original Harvest Moons, like the Super Nintendo one and the 64 one especially. And it's cool to have a game that harkens back to that. And also, I just have to appreciate the person that created this game. Literally one dude. He, mm-hmm. he did everything in this game, minus the minus portions involved with the port. But he did everything else, programming it, the music, as far as I understand, uh, the sprite work. And it took my, I think he like spent five years on this game. It's crazy. So I, have, I appreciate that while, appreciating the, uh, while just enjoying the heck out of the game itself. I mean, it, 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 it's that's impressive. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. Like we're we're seeing we're hearing stories of these one person development teams seemingly more often these days with games like, you know, Stardew Valley and Axiom Verge is almost the same exact story. One guy made that entire game over the span of like five years. And mm-hmm. you know, that that also started long ago with like games like Cave Story and Ikachan and mm-hmm. it's just it amazes me that there are people who can literally sit down and be like, Okay, I'm gonna spend the next however many years of my life <laughs> making this game by myself and it's not as if like these games are you know, just average across the board. Like, oh, it has okay music and okay graph. No, like these are these are great games, and I don't know how these people simultaneously manage to be like accomplished musicians and accomplished coders and graphic designers. It's crazy. 
Well, so the, the kind of funny thing is about that, I mean, I agree with you. Like, they're covering a lot of bases, which is incredible. But in the case of Stardew Valley, he literally didn't know anything about programming. He that's wow. He started it because he wanted to learn programming, I believe, or... Or maybe he wanted to make the game. I can't remember what came first. But the point is, he learned programming as he was going along. So, um, which makes it even more remarkable. Uh, and he kind of hit on something there, which I thought was funny, with um, saying how they sit down for however many years to make these games. I think the reason it works is because I don't think they have any idea how long it's going to take them when they start off. I think they, you know, I, I yeah. they may mm-hmm. think like a year or two out. Uh, I don't think they have five years in mind, which is a good thing. <laughs> no. I don't think they would finish if they had that in mind. Um, it's more that you know they they keep reaching these milestones, but they want to keep pushing themselves farther and farther and farther, uh, and so it ends up with these you know extended development cycles. But you end up with this amazing game uh, as a result. Oh yeah, yeah. feature creep. I mean, it's just, that's that's always the, the tricky thing is like you know knowing when to like shut off the feature creep because it's like you just want to get one more thing into, the, into your game and just like keep adding things and adding more and more, and it's like yep. at some point you have to be like, okay, wait. I got to stop though. I have to like <laughs> this has to be the finish line, and I can put these you know these ideas into the sequel. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 cool to just see that success. And I I knew for a, as soon as the game came out and the Switch was a thing, like and how well indies were doing on it, it's like this game needs to be on the Switch. It is just such a match made in heaven. Yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's a great platform for it. So yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah, it's it's great, and I I honestly don't have much else to say. I mean, Thanksgiving was good, but that's about typical at this point. At this point, it was just yeah, I mean, fine Thanksgiving. yeah, family was good, food was good. Like, what else is there to say that hasn't been said a hundred times by everyone else? <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, although Ash has something exciting going on tonight. Uh yeah, well, I guess I mean, I guess I assume you're talking about the movie I'm going to go yes. see. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to go see The Disaster Artist with friends tonight, and uh, I am personally very excited about this because I cite The Room as one of my, probably my favorite awful movie. I mean, it, it really is like one of the best terrible movies you could ever see, and to any of you out there who have even a slight inkling toward like bad movies and like movies that are bad in the way that you can enjoy them, like the original Street Fighter, for example, go see this movie. Like, it is... <laughs> It's just an absolute train wreck of bad filmmaking, but it's just, it's enjoyable all the way through. And The Disaster Artist is the movie that's based on the making of The Room. So I've seen this movie a bunch of times and introduced it to various friends, and they've all loved it. So a bunch of those friends and I are going to go see that tonight. And uh, very excited about that. Mm-hmm. If you like the end up liking the movie, I've heard people say the book is just as good if not better because there's stuff that's not in the movie like I saw Uh somebody say they love the movie but he wishes it was longer because there were so many great moments from the book that explains uh, covered certain scenes and how they were made and whatnot and just like I I love it I just want more (laughs) I've heard the exact same thing and I I actually that has been I don't feel like I have enough like I don't have as much time as I'd like to read like long form books but that has been at the top of my list for a while Mm. or at near the top of my list yeah yeah, I haven't had time to go see movies either. I uh, in a while. Uh, there, I wouldn't mind seeing the Disaster Artist because I've, lo- I have enjoyed the uh, trailers that they've been putting out. Um, I've heard decent things about Murder on the Orient Express. That looks like a fun murder mystery, and I don't, I, I don't know the twist. That's kind of also kind of what I'm, why I'm curious. I'm like, oh, okay, who's the murderer? I don't know. It'd be fun to try to figure that out. Uh, and then of course, uh, I've heard amazing things about Coco, uh, the new Pixar. Yeah, movie. yeah me too. Coco's good. Final, Pixar finally made a good movie again, so thanks, Pixar. <laughs> it just took a little while. 
it only took John Lasseter resigning <laughs> to make <laughs> is, a good right. movie. Is he resi- has he resigned or is it just on break again? No, he, okay, well officially he's done. on a six month leave. There's no way he's coming back. Oh, no. He's not coming no, back from it. No, he's done. <clears throat> no, especially now, because like it worked out for Disney, which I hate to say that because I don't care and it, this project got more attention. But it seems like his story was largely overshadowed by everyone else's, by all the other you know allegations being thrown around. Yeah, and you you really see his name looped in with all the others when other stories come out. You never hear Lasseter's name thrown in there with you know like Kevin Spacey or. Yeah. Um, any of the you know any number of the others. Harvey Weinstein and all of them yeah yeah so oh yeah so sorry my <laughs> point was I, I they're not gonna bring him back why reinvite all why you know why get the possibility of more news stories involving Lasseter coming out when he's already taken off with you know a relatively little minimal impact mm-hmm. um, I don't think Disney wants yeah. to invite those stories again so no that's a PR nightmare I mean there's, exactly. there's no reason they would open themselves up to that but. I have to. I, I have to remind myself, Andre. Do you consider Inside Out one of the bad Pixar movies, or can, can I, I don't think. I mean, I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's that great either. I mean, it's fine. It's not a bad okay. Because movie, you said but... they finally made a good movie again. I was like, man, my, my wife, Inside Out's one of her favorite movies, and she heard that she would just like her ears. Would perk up. She's like, wait a minute, somebody's talking crap about Inside Out. Yeah, I mean, Inside Out just didn't do it for me. So fair enough. I, yeah. I enjoyed Inside Out, but I, I didn't see Good Dinosaur. I didn't see Cars 3, obviously. I didn't, I didn't see Cars I 3. <clears throat> I haven't bothered with Finding Dory yet. Um, but I'm hearing, like I said, I'm hearing good things about Coco. And, you know, they Pixar did put out that uh, teaser for Incredibles 2. And oh, my God. I, I'm excited for that movie, but they, they made it that seem like... That teaser But they made not it... good. Exactly. They made it seem like that was going to be a full-blown tra- trailer, and then it's just a teaser. Oh, yeah. And I'm like... All right. Barely, barely even a teaser. Like I, I think I, I didn't double check this, but I've heard they just re- it, it reused some footage from what the uh, Incredible short that was on the DVD. I think for the movie or something. Oh, I I, I'm not that. sure about that. I don't think yeah. so because the, the, the people have been pointing out just how detailed everything is. Um, but I, I could be wrong. Uh, but I mean, I got more out of the teaser for the original Incredibles when it's just Mister Incredible trying to get his fit back into his suit. That was a good teaser. That was, that was a good teaser. Yeah, that yeah. was like that, gave, yeah. that gave you some sort of indication about what this movie was going to be about. This one is just, Jack-Jack has powers. We already knew that. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. yeah, I'm not really, and, I mean, yeah. granted, we don't know much about the movie, but I'm not super stoked by the lack of a time jump. Um, I mm-hmm. I think that'd be much more interesting than dealing with the exact same character. I mean, the movie picks up exactly where Incredibles 1 lifts off, or left off, apparently. Yeah. And that doesn't really interest me that much. Like, seeing the characters at basically the same points in their lives, I thought it'd be better to see them, like, aged up a bit and see how that affects the family dynamic. Yeah, I, I that's what I was sort of hoping, but they're not going that way. Although I will say I, I am intrigued, and I do kind of like the fact that the movie's going to focus on more on Helen this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did. Yeah, I read that, and man, I don't know. You guys are like being Debbie Downers here. I don't. I mean, I agree that the that the teaser wasn't great. I mean, in terms of the content of it, mm-hmm. but this is the oh, Incredibles too. Oh, I'm I still am excited to give it. Yeah, I'm like I am. My hype honestly is through the roof, and I don't care that I don't know what it's about, and I also don't care that that it literally picks up right after the first movie. I just want more Incredibles. Now, I am willing, for, you know, to say, hey, if the movie comes out and it's disappointing. Sure, I'll, then I'll then I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But <laughs> maybe maybe I'm setting myself up here. But my hype is through the roof for that movie. I love The Incredibles. Yeah, like I yeah. love that movie. I know a lot of people do. Um, it was never my favorite Pixar movie. Though. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, was I thought it was fine. Yeah. It's like top three for me. It's so good. I mean, that, it's that good. It's, it's a good. Like I would say that's a good Pixar movie. 
but definitely not a top three for me. Oh, so. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Although I would, I would definitely put it above uh, most of their more recent efforts. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. I, also, going back to it, Incredibles has kind of a weird message to it. I, you know, I agree with that. Actually, <laughs> I totally yeah, agree it with does, that. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, it's like special people shouldn't be hold, held back by the normies. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I actually read yeah. a little bit more into that, and yeah, like I felt like there were it, it got a little more political almost. I felt like than it perhaps should, if only because I didn't <laughs> agree with all those mm-hmm. messages. Uh huh. Yeah, it's well. It's, that's because I, that's because you two are normies, and I'm special. <laughs> well, you're not. Gonna, we're not going to disagree with you being special. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, it's weird. It's one of those things. That, uh, there's a lot of movies you can look back on and see what they were talking about. But like, ooh, <laughs> that's not that's not so great. Like, I remember, mm-hmm. you know, Revenge of the Nerds was a comedy classic for a while. Now you kind of look at that oh, yeah, final no, scene. It's like, oh, yeah. Mm. I actually have not seen that, but I'm curious now. Oh, really? Oh, uh, I mean, there's probably parts that still hold up, but the um, main note. I don't know if we if we if we won't get into it. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, it's really, it's pretty it. gross. It's it's pretty oh, gross. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. great. Um, no, fair. I I will take your word for it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, looking forward to those uh, to that. And of course, we got the Avengers Infinity Infinity War trailer, which I know Andre, right. you don't give a crap about because I oh, I could not care less yeah. about that. I, I um, see. I'm excited. I mean, as a casual MCU fan, I'm excited. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I find them to be a fun ride. Obviously, not all the movies are as good as, as some of them, but I don't know. I they're fun. They're consistently fun, and I don't know, maybe because I don't care about the comics, but I also know you don't either, Andre. And they're definitely consistent, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, you You actually, I remember you consistently really have not enjoyed a lot of them, where I think Derek and I mostly have. Yeah, I mean, they all just feel the same to me, mm-hmm. so... Sure, sure. And that's, and that's granted, they, they, there is a very yeah. common formula for the Marvel movies, and... Definitely. It, it, it's like... But there's still that level of quality. I think I, I'm not I'm not going in there looking for great cinema. That's only happened a few times with the Marvel movies. But I'm still going to get fun cinema, and I'm okay exactly. with that. And I mean, I one of the things I've said for a while is okay. Once they finally finish this first arc, I don't know how into the other Marvel movies I'm going to be. Maybe I'll just sort of lay away. But then I watch that Infinity War tra- trailer. I'm like. Damn it! They can they structure these trailers in such a way that I'm watching this and I'm getting so hyped about seeing these characters work together, seeing the threads coming around, seeing the level of threat. I'm like, you know, damn it, damn it, Marvel, stop getting me into this. <laughs> you know, and I'm ashamed, but I have I still have not seen Thor Ragnarok, and I really want to. Like I and I I still fully intend to because I did just watch Doctor Strange on Blu-ray, so like I've got that part of the little story filled in now too. Mm-hmm. And I know that that got kind of directly is connected to Thor Ragnarok as well. So Bare, yeah, not much though. Not not, not much. Not, okay. not a ton, but uh, Thor Ragnarok. You will want to watch Thor Ragnarok before. I know. I really Avengers. want to see it. Yeah, because that, yeah, I just that, want to see that, it that on does its own merits. But yeah. Right. No, I just want to see it on his own merits oh, because it's, the movie seems so damn fun. It's so much more. It seems so much more fun than the first two Thor movies were, mm-hmm. just with the marketing and just the way they've been kind of pushing it. And I don't know. I've gotten into the MCU versions of all these characters. Like it's been fun following them. But kind of like you, Derek, I don't know how much I'll care after the Infinity War stuff. Like I, that might be where I check out. I don't know yet. I guess I'll kind of have to see. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, I think you really touched on it. I don't go to these movies expecting. Oscar bait, amazing cinema, but just fun cinema, like kind of like the Fast and Furious movies, which I I just go to for pure fun, 
as well. So, yeah, I think I, I, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I am, like, I legitimately am excited for the Black ba- ba- Black Panther movie. I think that yeah, looks amazing as well. Um, I've heard really good things about the director and uh, some of the visuals, like this fut- Afro-futurism stuff is like, I don't know, I really like the designs of all this. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious how that's going to be put in there. And just that, that, that final shot of the Infinity War trailer of all the Wakandans plus, you know, the main, our main heroes going into battle with these crazy monsters. Like, all right, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm like in They actually, for it. I, they actually got the too. war por- portion right on, like, Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you guys ready to jump into the news? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do, do it. it. All right, so... Uh, one of the big ones, and uh, we'll probably have a longer discussion about this, me and Ash, um, uh, pretty soon. But uh, Capcom is hosting a 30th anniversary Mega Man stream that they say people won't want to miss. They've been sending out stuff to various uh, journalists and whatnot, and people that have some renown. Sony's retweeted it. I think Nintendo retweeted this thing. Something. Yeah. Potentially big is happening with Mega Man. At least Capcom wants you to talk about. I keep teasing Ash by saying, "Oh, they're just getting ready for the Man of Action stuff. They're just going to, you know, tie into all that." <laughs> well, I mean, I will say, and I don't, I won't get too deep into my thoughts here because we are going to have a separate discussion. I'll just say that uh, for for Capcom to keep stressing that that people should not miss this. That's bold because of, you know, the seven years of just disappointment and sadness that Mega Man fans have had to endure, other than cool things like Smash and, and MVC and whatnot. But, you know, that's that's a bold statement. And I feel like Capcom, you know, they have to know that they can't, you, you would think they would have to know they can't, they can't get Mega Man fans' hopes up for nothing anymore. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, it feels like something could be happening, who knows? Um, all I'll say for now is that I'm kind of torn between my worst case fear that it is actually a Man of Action game, a Man of Action cartoon tie-in game, but I have this kind of persistent inkling that it could actually be like a legit, true Mega Man 11. So I'll get more into that in our discussion about it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I've never wanted a weekend to go by so fast because I want to <laughs> see what's going to happen on Monday. So yeah. I'm cautiously excited. Yeah, I'll get into my thoughts too, but um, I'm, I'm I am cautiously optimistic for this, and yeah. who knows? Maybe this is the Mega Man game that Andre will actually get into. <laughs> right? Never know. Yeah, gotta start sometime, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you can uh, if if you don't enjoy Mega Man, maybe you can just enjoy yourself some cereal, Andre, because Kellogg's is indeed coming out with a Super Mario cereal. Uh, where there is amiibo functionality, and the amiibo functionality isn't you know that amazing. I think it gets you coins and a heart, which I mean, if you're gonna put it on a cereal cereal box, that's perfect for kids. Hey, kids, you're having trouble with Mario Odyssey? Here's some stuff to help you out. When they announced this, like I did have a a quick flashback to like being a kid again, like <laughs> seeing a box of Mario on it. Like it did remind me of that of being in the '80s. Mm-hmm. That's something uh-huh. we haven't really seen much. Uh, much sense with Mario, but hey, Mario Mario's on a bit of a comeback, it seems, recently, like, in terms of reaching, like, mass market again. I mean, well, granted, it happened in the new Super Mario Brothers games, but it kind of feels like we're full circle now at this point. Like, the loop has been closed. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and, tying, and tying in the Amiibo stuff, like, is a pretty great idea. Uh, you know, they've already had, like, the Amiibo cards with Animal Crossing, so it makes sense just to use that technology in a box. Um, and also, I should note... We'll probably have more on this next week, but it sounds like we're getting early copy. Can you say copy, <laughs> copy. not cereal? I was going to say, <laughs> early sample. I was going to say, are we going to be there one of go. those sad, not sad people, but one of those people that have to go 
from a grocery store to grocery store. Do you have the Super Mario cereal? Do you have the Super Mario cereal? Do you have the Super oh Mario God. cereal? Yeah, I'm so glad I don't have to do that <laughs> because I probably would have. Cereal uh, it, it's kind of It is kind of dumb in a way. Like, when I first heard this, I'm like, well, we have to report on this. This is, is kind of big news, even though it really doesn't seem like it should be. But it was, and that story blew up on our channel, mm-hmm. um, as did the subsequent one. So, yeah, uh, people are excited for this. So, And I have to admit, like... Seeing the cereal, the little marshmallows in the shape of like question blocks, I'm like, yeah, I need to try this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See if it's actually any good. I'm not a huge fan yeah. of Lucky Charms, but it might be good. Although I do like my Count Chocula, so I guess it depends. Nice. <laughs> uh, well, Frankenberry is kind of like uh, Lucky Charms, isn't it? Yeah, so. I guess it is. So yeah, it yeah. might be in good shape then. All those Halloween cereals are amazing. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I'm so I'm always happy. Like every Halloween, I make sure to get one of each. <laughs> Oh, just one of each. You got to stock up, man. You got to get a whole year supply in there. No. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, goodness. Um, I will say, though, because we had the Nintendo, what was it, cereal system back in the day where they had those two separate bags. Yeah, Mario and Zelda. For Mario and Zelda. They could have done that this year. They could have had a Mario and Zelda pack. That's true. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, have. I kind of do miss the Nintendo cereal system. I feel like, I mean, this is pretty cool, like a, a kind of a cool comeback, but... That was really cool that they had two separate bags of cereal, like theme bags in those boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They got your cartridges. <laughs> well, yeah. What we actually need is a return of the Mario Kraft macaroni and cheese with <laughs> that's actually in the shape of like Mario and Yoshi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do they still it's make like, those anymore? Completely, like, character, yeah. character macaroni? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, actually, I was at the store yesterday and I was in the pasta aisle just getting regular noodles and I did happen to see, I think it was like, Darth Vader or Star Wars, uh, Star Wars mm. branded craft mac and cheese. So I don't know if they're actually in the shape or if it's just like a prize giveaway or something. But they're doing something with Star Wars right now, probably for the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's not far out at all. Yeah, three. I think what two weeks, something like that. Yeah, F- about. the fifteenth. So very soon. Got my tickets, even though I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have my tickets, but I'm, I'm not. I don't foresee having trouble getting to going getting into this movie. <laughs> you know. Nah. Maybe not the release. Nah. Maybe not the night of release, but I'll definitely be there that first weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go within the first week. I'm like a completely casual Star Wars fan. I mean, I actually really enjoyed Episode Seven, but so I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you know, it's I, I don't have to be there night one. I'm not like, oh my god, Star Wars. It's like, oh, okay, cool, Star Wars. Yeah, it's more the yeah. point of like, all right, let's get in here and see this as quick as possible, possible before everybody starts spoiling it. Exactly. Because yeah. I'm not I am not looking forward to having to stream again after a Star Wars movie and I had to ban so many people spoiling the uh, that spoiled the big event of um Yeah. Uh, uh what was the first one? The Force Awakens. Force Awakens. I don't yeah. know why I blanked on that one. Yeah, I had to block because it was so many people. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ouch. Force gettable. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. <laughs> I wish I could forget that one. Yeah, I know Force kidding, me too. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that's the Super Mario cereal. I might actually look and see if it's there just to say I had some, see what it's like. Uh, I'll save you a grain. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Your I, I appreciate yep. that. You should just ma- mail us a little bag, like a little plastic bag. Exactly. <laughs> little little bag Mario piece. cereal samples. Yeah. <laughs> Probably get like pulled aside for drugs. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Or no, do you, you know what? Put, put them in little baggies, pour the milk in, and then mail them. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I am not yeah. a fan of soggy cereal to begin with. That is just <laughs> yeah, revolting. Right. Pretty vile. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, well, hey, speaking of Nintendo and sales, uh, it's been reported that the Switch was the best-selling item 
on Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday. It topped all three. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Good for Nintendo. They have made a product that people want again. <laughs> yeah, and a product yeah. that stayed relevant despite launching in March. Because that's what I would have thought that a steady stream of games that you know throughout the year without major software droughts would actually result in better sales. Who'd yeah, have crazy, yeah. is that right? It's crazy. I mean, I mean, to I mean to their credit though, uh, I mean Wii U's first year wasn't anywhere close to this, but they they had a lot of great games on the Wii U as well, and that did nothing for that sure. system. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of having great games with it being a compelling piece of hardware in and of itself, which well, we I actually think, have a topic yeah. about that too. Well, I think that too. I mean, yeah, I, I, but I also feel like you got to have that consistency too, because I mean, the Wii U had oh, incredible yeah. games, but there were months between mm-hmm. them with good point. Like, almost nothing. No, they figured it out. They had yeah. a great schedule this year for the Switch, with you know between um, some ports or upgraded ports, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should say, along with you know just the super compelling AAA games between Zelda, and Mario, and possibly Xenoblade now. I mean, it's just been a stellar effort for a first-year console. The fact that they have two Game of the Year contenders by themselves is crazy. In its first year. I mean, it really yeah. is one of the best, not just Nintendo, but one of the best first-year lineups for any console ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all, oh, yeah. Because everybody's always been pushing for, like, the launch. The launch needs to have a bunch of compelling games. It's like, it's like for once, one of these game companies played the long game, and it paid off in just in droves. And I wonder if Sony and Microsoft are going to pay attention to that and try to, like, for whatever they launch their next system, be like, okay, let's make sure we have games throughout the entire first year so we can actually keep this consistent. Microsoft probably should because, honestly, <laughs> the, the launch of the Xbox One X came and went without me even so 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 much as realizing it. I hear I had, it did it, well, I mean, but I don't. you don't hear about it just in casual conversation that much. You don't really hear about it at all. Like, it's so <laughs> weird that you just don't really hear about the Xbox One X being talked about in general. I mean, part of the problem is that they don't have enough exclusives. Like, they don't have enough development yeah. teams making games for them, whereas Nintendo has a ton and Sony has a decent amount as well. Uh, Microsoft hasn't, they've kind of dropped the ball on that, both yeah. in terms of that as well as even just, you know, super strong third party support. I mean, they get a lot of the same games Sony does, but it's those exclusives that they're missing. Yeah, I mean, mm. Sony has got a lock on those, on, on the Japanese design games people want to play. They've got a complete lockdown on RPGs mm-hmm. and visual novels and rhythm games. I mean, really, just all that, all the, 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 the specialized Japanese genres that people like playing, PlayStation has unlocked. Xbox has like none of them almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll do it. Yeah, and they're not. It's not going to. Microsoft's not getting any favors with the Switch doing as well as it is because that, again, that reaches that Japanese niche of hey, we want this portable, and Switch does that in droves. Now you have those big games on the go whenever you want, which is perfect. And mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's just although fitting that so well. Go ahead. Although, to, I mean, to their credit, Microsoft does seem perfectly happy and willing to work with Nintendo instead of against them because they're, you know, the, with the whole Minecraft play together thing True. and, like, you know, cross compatibility, uh, you know, with Rocket League, uh, with the Xbox One and Switch versions. So, I mean, it's kind of neat that that Microsoft is willing to play nice with Nintendo, I guess. Well, I, it's because they have nothing to lose right now. <laughs> yeah, it's true, because they're not doing anything else. Yeah. yeah, they're not doing much else, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were in the, if they were in the same position that Sony is right now, I suspect we'd see something very similar with Microsoft. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah totally. Yeah. It's, it's something else, but it's, it's great to see. I think it's, we're going to see a lot of kids get this for Christmas, it seems. 
Oh yeah, I I uh, yeah. There's gonna be a lot of kids like waking up with Mario in their stocking this year. Yeah, Mario or Zelda. Yeah. And hey, the Switch physical Switch games do make perfect stock, uh, stocking stuffers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're perfectly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, this this one's for me. <laughs> this one is just totally down my alley, yeah. and I freaked the hell out as soon as I saw this. Um, Valkyria Chronicles 4 has been announced for consoles, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and the Nintendo Switch. And the fact that we're actually getting a sequel to this game, a a real sequel that follows the gameplay style, is amazing to me. I did not see that one coming. I honestly thought the series was dead in the water because Valkyria Revolution just did not do that well. Um, And, you know, I've said this before, I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast, but the original Valkyria Chronicles is my favorite game on the PlayStation 3. So to have a sequel that I can play that's not on the PSP or locked to Japan is really nice. <laughs> so, yeah, it is great to see that they're going back to that art style. It's uh, It just it looks good. It's uh, a lot of the same people working on it. Plus, it's going to be on the Switch, which I think, which I think is a good fit as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am so hyped for this game. Yeah, I think I think it was a really cool surprise. I don't think anyone saw this coming. I actually have been using this to tease you because you've been trolling me about the Mega Man of Action thing, and he's like, <laughs> "Don't get excited, Ash. It's probably just a Man of Action cartoon." I'm like, "Well, Valkyria Chronicles Four is probably going to be like another Valkyria Revolution." So there, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it's really cool. I um, I never got to play the original Valkyria Chronicles, which is one of my great gaming shames and one of the biggest holes in my gaming history because I've always wanted to play it. I don't know if and when I'll get a chance to play the HD version, but I think it's really cool that that Sega is still going completely in with this series. You know, they could have just given up on it after Valkyria Revolution and just said, "Well, the interest isn't there, and we're just going to shelve it." But no, they're like, "No, let's let's give it another go and and deliver the game that the sequel that people really do want." It's we it's weird because you know Sega is very selective about which franchises they keep going. It's you know it's you know, true. There's a lot. They have a lot of franchises under their belt. They don't all get pushed to the forefront. So it's kind of amazing to me that um, Valkyria Chronicles has been one of those franchises. Like would not have expected that at all. <laughs> yeah, I still want my Streets of Rage Mania. When am I, when am I getting that? Sega? <laughs> Andre wants <laughs> when, his when uh, Streets of Rage Mania. Andre coming? really wants his Samba de Amigo. Dang, yeah, right. I'll Summon take that. Amigo Mania? I'll take that. <laughs> oh, I'll be happy with that, yeah. that. I mean, Sega themselves, I think we talked, did we talk about this? I don't I, know. We might have talked Sega about that. We did do an update. said a good fit on the Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the updates that we did. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I want that game. It's such a perfect fit for the Switch. Mm-hmm. It really is, actually. That is, it really is a perfect fit. Like, I it. mean, especially with the HD rumble, like, you know how you yeah. have the marbles already? You could have it so that you actually feel the beans bouncing around inside. <sighs> that would be yeah, really cool. So amazing. Yeah. Although yeah. I although I will say I am a little bit bummed uh, that it won't have the, it doesn't have the Wii remote speakers you won't quite get you won't hear the beans coming out of the Joy Cons but sure sure I can deal. yeah we <laughs> can deal with that yeah oh goodness but yeah, we'll see what Sega does hopefully they branch out a little start just branching out a lot more honestly I think they need to um Derek I think we already know what Sega does yeah <laughs> what Nintendo don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, you, you you set me up for that. Oh, I totally I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, the final bit of news we have this week is that Splatoon 2 has received a major update, adding new uh, outfits, 
uh, new stage with three more incoming. Uh, they've allowed you the ability to change equipment uh, in between matches, which is a godsend for that for that game. Uh, and just balancing and just tons and tons of tons of new features uh, within Splatoon 2, which is great. I think it needed. I think it was time for that kind of shot in the arm because uh, the releases were getting quite samey, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like Isn't there a the weapon tonight weapons, too, yeah. or something? Oh yeah, there's a new. There's a, there's a weapon. There's a new weapon every week, if not a new stage. Um, like yeah. it's either if there's not a new weapon, there's usually a new stage. Um, and sometimes there's both. Like it's it's just been consistent each week. Then granted, this one is actually a new weapon, but um, you know it's great to see. The thing is, and I, I I've talked about this a few times already. I've just not been. I I really enjoyed Splatoon two. I gave it a love. I I stand by that score. It, I love that game. But two factors have been working against me for continuing continuing to play it with the same fervor that I had for the original Splatoon. One, the level of gameplay has gro- far outgrown me. I needed to be able to play this consistently. <laughs> and so once all the I was not fighting against other journalists. All of a sudden that skill ceiling just raised incredibly so i just can't do that well in the game and it's unfortunate i just don't i I don't i'm not good (laughs) so it it makes it less fun um and two with the original splatoon there really wasn't that much else to play on the wii u so of course it'd stick to the wii i'd stick to a splatoon keep playing that enjoy that online and everything it had to offer now, with so many great games on the Switch, my, my attention's just distracted. I'm going here to here to here to here, and I'm just like, buy Splatoon. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had, a, I had fun with it for the first week or so, especially with um, Salmon Run. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But for me, like it, it's a case of diminishing returns. Like, yeah, it technically probably is a better game than Splatoon 1 in most respects. But I got my fill with Splatoon 1, which I played for a long time. And Splatoon 2, like, I reached my, my cap, my personal cap, pretty soon. It's like, all right, I see what this game's about. It's pretty similar to the game I already played, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, like, I think I would play more if I could get friends together to play, but I can't ever find friends who are willing to, like, get on and play. And I don't want to play with random people because, kind of like you said, Derek, I'm just not good at the game. And, the you know, the, the average level of skill now is just, it's crazy. And I just feel like I can't really get online and do that well necessarily and it's just it's not really that fun so and and there's also the other game problem too it's like i will sometimes think about playing oh a few rounds of splatoon 2 would be fun but then i think about the five million other games i have waiting to play and it's like okay well or i could just play this other game that i'm really looking forward to playing or want to keep playing so mm-hmm. there's just yeah it's just a it's a matter yeah it's it's a fact of diminishing returns other distractions but I really do like the game, and I mean, they continue to, to update it with new cool things, as we've seen with this update. They're all for free, and they're all they're bringing back stages that I love from Splatoon 1, like Black Belly Skate Park. So there are things that, that keep me wanting to come back, but I just don't ever actually do it because there are all these other factors kind of intervening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I cannot emphasize enough that just how great all this stuff is for free. You're just getting constant yeah. updates and just really rebalancing the game and showing what it can do and like the whole idea of like raising the uh, the, the level cap to 99 and then allowing you to go into star levels and it's like okay well you just made gameplay infinite for the people who are really into Splatoon because I'm, I'm sure we'll eventually see a star 99 person 
<laughs> oh, at oh, some yeah. point. The, no the doubt. party is already somehow. Probably yeah. it's probably Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, goodness. But, yeah, uh, good update. I uh, like the new content they're bringing to it. It's just – it's been a hell of a year, so it's hard to get focused on focus on it as much as I did with the original Splatoon. Yeah, I yeah. mean, for me, it's like why would I play something that I've already played so much of when there's other new experiences I can enjoy instead? Mm-hmm. Yep. But, uh, well, that's all the news for this week. And uh, – Let's go ahead and jump into the Patreon topics. Uh, as always, for just $1 a month, you guys can support us on Patreon. Get these uh, podcasts every uh, three days early, uh, every Friday. Uh, hopefully we get back into consistent schedule now that the uh, insanity of November has passed us. Uh, Let's hope. Yeah, and offer up topics like the ones we have here. So, uh, Andre, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, this one comes to us by way of Straw Hat Ninja. Yeah, I, I was wondering, is that Straw Hat Ninja or Straw What Ninja? <laughs> I kind of like Straw What Ninja. I think it's Straw Hat. Yeah. No, it is Straw, straw Hat, hat yeah, but yeah. I like Straw What Ninja. That's cool, yeah. <laughs> hey, GX, currently the Switch is selling very well, and the games are doing so well that publishers are rushing to get their games on that platform. Does this mean that graphics are overvalued and players care more about gameplay convenience as a whole? Thanks for all you do in making my podcast listening... Uh, thanks for all you do in making my podcast listening life more exciting. So... I mean, I don't know if this is really... I mean, I, I agree. I think we are kind of seeing evidence of that. But I don't know if it's something that's necessarily new, per se, because uh, historically, the strongest consoles has rarely won the generational war. Um, with Like, since the 64, really? Like, PlayStation wasn't the strongest platform, although some might argue the FMVs afforded by CDs might you know give that impression. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, PS2 definitely wasn't the strongest platform in that one. Uh, the um, Xbox was, was the strongest platform for the next generation, and that didn't win. And then we saw with the Wii, again, <laughs> that, that took off like a rocket and was by far the weakest platform, <laughs> even though it kind of did that by appealing to a whole new demographic. So I don't know if that's really the best example. But again, I think, once again, we we're kind of seeing with the Switch, although we can't really do, you know, it, we can't do a full comparison here, but the Switch is uh, a new platform, and... It's going to be many years before it possibly outsells the others, even though it is doing it on a week-to-week basis. It has a lot of catching up to do uh, to the established demographics of mm-hmm. the, you know, PlayStation and the Xbox. But I do think we are, you know, kind of seeing evidence of the fact that you know graphics aren't the end-all, be-all. I think this with the Switch, we are seeing them get to a point where it's close enough that the that the other benefits of the platform being the convenience really do outweigh, you know, a, you know, the graphical enhancements that the other platforms provide. Uh, you know, like, it, it, take even a game like Rocket League. Yeah, it looks better on the PS4. Does it really matter when you're actually playing it that much, though, when it's just fun? That's what it's about, is just having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit blurrier, it's not quite as sharp, but who cares when right. I can just take it anywhere and play it anywhere, you know, with a Wi-Fi connection, of course. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think it's, it's really the convenience factor these days, and especially in a day and age where so much is competing for our dollars and our time, um, and, you know, in terms of media, like, we have easier access to media than we ever had before with Netflix and Amazon Prime and just renting movies in general or watching TV shows uh, and all these games coming out all the time. Um, the Switch really allows you to play these games anytime, anywhere, and I think for that, people are willing to give up, you know, a slight graphical increase to be able to play these games on their time when they had the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it it they really did find that convenience factor and I that's helped so much. Although I am going to be very curious 
looking at the sales of Doom, Skyrim, and L.A. Noir. I'm, I'm quite curious how they sold on the Switch compared to the other systems. Uh, especially L.A. Noir because it came out the same day as the other re-release. So one has, you know, much better graphics for the PS4 and Xbox One versions, but got the portability and some minor motion controls, which isn't going to be a selling point for the Switch version. So I'm, I'm curious right. which one did better or just how they compare in general. I mean, I'm curious if any of them did that well That's for true. L.A. Noir at least. Yeah. I think uh, it might be... Oh, go ahead, Andre. No, I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I think it might be a bit reductive, uh, Straw Hat Ninja, to necessarily say across the board that this means graphics are overvalued and players care more about gameplay and convenience. I think that's true in a lot of cases, but I think credit has to go to Nintendo for landing specifically where they did on their specific crossroads between graphics and portability. I think, you know, where they landed has been great because there isn't that much of a sacrifice visually to play on the go. If they had landed somewhere else where there was more of a graphical sacrifice and there was, you know, a, a wider gulf and visual, you know, parity between consoles and, or, you know, traditional consoles and the Switch, we might be seeing a different story play out. I'm not sure. I think, really, though, Nintendo deserves a lot of credit for doing, a lot, obviously, a lot of R&D and a lot of research with the Switch and landing on specs that really do nail that sweet spot between slightly worse graphics but portable convenience. And I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I think it depends on your perspective. I, I fully agree with what you just said. I mean, I think the Switch gets remarkably close to the other platforms. But as one who's maybe more... Like, I know some hardcore people who are more about the graphics, maybe PC gamers even, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they would differ with that, you know, with it being a slight, you know, downgrade. Sure, um, sure. I think, you know, I saw a lot of people adamant that, no, you have to play Dune with 60 frames per second on the highest settings. Uh, with <laughs> Apparently, some people have said the Switch... Um, the Switch version is equivalent to playing the PC version on like the lowest settings, which sure. very well might be might be true. But when yeah. I play that preview event, I'm like, this game still looks really good on the Switch. And I think if you're not doing those A to B comparisons, and especially if you haven't played the other versions, you don't really know what you're missing out on. And I don't know if it really matters that much. Yeah, yeah I mean, especially yeah, if you're not doing a live comparison, that's true. I I just mean that the that the Switch is obviously equipped with it, the minimum specs necessary to you know, to present a workable version of games like Doom. Obviously, yeah, I mean, if you're a PC gamer, a super graphics guy, you're going to, you know, be able to, to point out every single difference. And, yeah, the looking at them side by side, I have, by the way, yeah, the Switch version looks significantly worse. However, in a vacuum, the Switch is able to run and run competently an optimized version of Doom, and I think that makes all the difference. Like, if Switch wasn't, if it didn't have the minimum specs necessary to deliver good gameplay experiences for these kinds of games. I don't know if we would be looking at the Switch with the same kind of reverence for, you know, in the fact that it's able to play these kinds of games, but it is. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's kind of what I mean when I go back to saying, I think Nintendo landed on the right crossroads between, like, specs and convenience. Mm -hmm. It's funny, because we've, since the Game Boy, we've had that difference we had a release on the nintendo and then that same game released on the game boy and there was always that graphical difference between the two none the you know of course color being one of the big big ones back in the day and we've seen that gulf get smaller and smaller as time has gone on and i think it's just become that a big deal that we can get a game like doom on the switch 
portable, ready to go, easy to use. Downgraded, of course, but we're used to that for our portable games, and it just look and it just great to have on the go. And I think that's it. Really, is the selling point. It's like we are getting that natural progression of portable consoles or portable uh, systems, and the Switch has really become the bridge between all those. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think that's you know. So Sony wanted the Vita to be that, but mm-hmm. I think the Vita was a bit ahead of its time, and it didn't have the you know the incredible stable of first-party IPs that Nintendo mm-hmm. does. So I you know I don't think the technology is quite there yet. As much as I do love the Vita for its own reason, I mean it, it was a great little piece of hardware to use, even if the software library wasn't you know it didn't really ramp up as fast as it needed to. But I think the technology is there now. You know I mean you could even point to the Wii U. Is almost like a prototype switch for what Nintendo kind of tried to do with it. Oh, you totally but, could. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, the technology playing, just wasn't there yet. If you're just playing on the gamepad, you know, unaware that you need to be within 30 feet of, uh, <laughs> of a base system, like it really is just like a really clunky version of the Switch. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, totally. Yeah. It really no, is. I think, it's, yeah. it's sort of like that sort of cross between the Wii U and the Vita because the Vita, they were trying to do that whole TV play to a thing as well. Like you can just go from the system onto your Vita and keep playing, that kind of idea. Um, but there's still limits. With the remote play? You yeah, mean, the remote or? play and all that. Is yeah. mm-hmm. They were tr- trying to push it, but they couldn't go whole hog like the Switch has been able to. And as Ash said, Nintendo with their wealth of IPs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, the Switch really really made it I mean it really is a console in handheld form like they pulled it off mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. pretty amazing and also it kind of worked out too that they're, that they're coming in at what would normally be the tail end of a generation so their games are being compared to platforms that are what four or five years old now yeah <laughs> um, right so that is that is also working to their benefit uh, although you know we'll see how things might change when the next true generation of consoles comes out and not this you know these mid-gen refreshes yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, hats off to Nintendo. They made a product that people actually want, uh, and the, the fact that they have a ton of games that people also want to play on it is really helping them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and you I, touched on. I got okay. Ash. Oh, so you touched on this, Andre. But you know, to the untrained eye, we're way past the point now of where we're getting diminishing returns for graphics. I mean, obviously, if you know what to look for, it's it's ob- it's clear. But to the general consumer who doesn't necessarily care. Games just look good in general now. Like, everything yeah. looks pretty great as a baseline. You know, unless you're a, an, an enthusiast, everything as a baseline looks pretty damn great. And so I feel like, yeah, because we're in that stage of diminishing returns, we're at the point now where technology has gotten to the point where, you know, the Switch, even as a, as a hybrid, still passes as a as a full home console with, you know, I mean, I, I play a game like Super Mario Odyssey and never once was it like, man, I wish this looked better or, man, <laughs> this would look so much better on PS4 Pro. Maybe it would, but who cares? Like... It looks amazing on the Switch, and I and mm-hmm. that not once was I like, man, I wish this looked better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to be very curious how year two goes for the Switch. Uh, what Nintendo's plan yeah. is for con- keeping this consistency, and how third parties and other uh, like indies and all that will continue to fill out the Switch's library. I'm I'm really curious how they're going to pull this off and keep this momentum if they're able to. Well, we might find out with that rumored January Direct, which of course there's going to be a January Direct. Yeah, of course. There's always a January <laughs> yeah. Direct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a fun one. See what we're in for for the rest of the year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, for most of it. But, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, my topic comes from Dan B., who says, 
Hey guys, with Derek playing 90 hours of Xenoblade in 9 days, I was wondering how that affects your experience. When does cramming to finish a game before the embargo is up before the embargo is up feel less like playing and more like work? Thanks and keep being awesome. So, thank you for the question first of all, and second, that is a th something that's always in the back of my mind. Like I don't want to burn myself out to the fact like, "Oh god, I got to play this game." And, you know, whatnot. So I'm, I'm constantly clearing my head to just sort of like lose myself in the experience as much as possible uh, and not feeling it. And I think it affects you more when the game isn't good. <laughs> when you're stuck playing yeah, a game. I was going to say that. Yeah. Exactly. When the game is. Yeah. It feels like work when the game sucks. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because, oh, God, I got to play this and try to get it ready before the embargo and all this. And it's like, oh, just let it end. And uh, fortunately for both you and myself, Andre, we got to play some really good games under crunch time, granted, but thankfully they didn't get affected by that short embargo. And we, we, I think we do our best to make sure that doesn't happen where just that short time frame affects our opinions, you know? I had, what, five five days with Mario yeah. before I did the review? Yeah. And I 100% of that game. I was playing that game for... You know, I was pulling similar hours as you were as you were with uh, Xenoblade, just on uh, just with lesser days, mm. um, on a per day basis. And yeah, I mean, I tried to play the game as much as possible, like I would normally without the review. Uh, and you know, granted, there are always going to be exceptions. I I did hurry along at points. Like when I was getting down to the wire, I'm like, all right, I got to stop dicking around. Got to <laughs> get those final few power moons. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just you just try not to let that affect you. Like it's impossible to to ascertain whether fully you know whether you are uh immune to that or not you know who knows the mere act of reviewing something means you're already kind of going in with a different mindset than someone who plays against completely casually is mm -hmm. but uh yeah i mean you do your best to not let that affect you and um and when the game you know is fun when the game is inherently good it just doesn't feel like work anyway to me yeah yeah well and it's always tricky too because i mean dan b i think your question kind of gets it it, deeper questions about the review process which which are things like is it always the right move to kill yourself to beat a game before you review you know to to 100 whatever 100% or complete a game before you review it if it is you know if having to play it that much is stressing you out so much to the point where you're not enjoying it like what is that always the best approach you know is it is it always is it fair to expect someone to like you did, Andre, 100% Odyssey in five days and give a full review, or is it better sometimes to not have that launch day review and have a more reasoned and more complete and more, you know, ed you know informed review a few days after? Of course, you, know, you were able to 100% it, Andre, because that's incredible, but <laughs> a lot of people I don't think would have been able to do that in five days. So, for those people, do they, you know, force a review on launch day, or do they take a few days and really finish it, really collect their thoughts, and have a what they would consider a more informed opinion. It's kind of tricky, and I don't know if there's always a right answer for that question, you know, one way or the other. It's, yeah, it is a little rough, but I've I've never, fortunately, for, for the most part, I've had enough time with most of the games I've reviewed that I've never felt like I need to play this game more in order to understand what I think about it. I, I've yeah. usually had enough time to really get a sense of how I feel. My opinion isn't going to change much. It's just a matter of the finer details that get in there. But usually, your opinions are pretty locked in as you experience things. And, you know, you might just some things like, eh, I don't really like that. Ooh, that was really good. That kind of thing. And you just sort of go up and down as you experience something time to time because, you know, we, we try to finish our games. 
But I don't think that was necessary. I was fully prepared to go to the Xenoblade review without having finished it. I did the same with X. And my opinion did not change because I felt like I got far enough and experienced enough that my thoughts were pretty locked in there. And that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting point. Like, usually within the first few hours, you already kind of. Like, at least in my experience, as you're also touching on, like, I basically know what I'm going to give it. And, you know, I never finalize that opinion, but it usually ends up being the case when I reach the end. Like, sometimes, I mean, there are times when I'm like, okay, I'm not quite sure if, like, you know, where I fall between two scores. Like, am mm-hmm. I liking it or am I liking it a lot? And usually if I find myself asking that question, by the end, I usually fall on the lower score. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are times where, like, I have to play through the full game to finally you know, figure out where I, where exactly I fall. But usually I have a pretty good idea, just, you know, even with a short time with a game. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the thing is, that, uh, sometimes you feel like you're good, but then you gestate on it, because it is very fresh in your mind, but then you gestate on it and think about it, and you're like, hmm. And the, the only game I can think of that that really happened for me, and I... I Yoshi? Yeah, Yoshi. <laughs> Yoshi's New Island. <laughs> Yoshi's New Island, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I that should have been yeah. knocked down. You get a what four stars? I think so, something like that. Yeah, something wow. something like that, which is way too high, <laughs> way too high. Yeah. Hey, hey. To be fair, I had the same thing with Paper Mario Superstar. I get that game two stars out of five. <laughs> what way the hell too is high. wrong with you? That is <laughs> nice. Like, it does not deserve two stars. It deserves maybe negative two stars. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Oh, I mean, gosh. I think there is also just a, you know, just a pure skill and experience component to, to it as well. I mean, you know, reviewing a game is not something you just do. I mean, you can, and that's fine, but reviewing a game like Super Mario Odyssey in the span of five days and coming out with a review that I ended up, you know, someone who took a month to 100% Odyssey ended up agreeing with, that takes experience. You, you, don't, just, you don't just wake up and do that. <laughs> so you build up to that. And so I think, you know... The fact that Andre and, and Derek and I are able to do that, especially Andre and Derek, you know, I don't review as many games, obviously, because I have a full-time job elsewhere, but the fact that they're able to do that is because they got, they built up to that point, too. So there definitely is a skill and experience component there as well, I think, that you, you know, you start just doing basic game reviews, then you get to the point where you could review massive games <laughs> in a few days and still come out with a, with an opinion that you're confident in. Um, for, my, for myself, I kind of agree with you guys. I, I can't really think of very many games where my opinion on it has just done a complete 180, you know, multiple times during the review period. You know, after a good chunk of time with the game, even though I haven't beaten it, I'm pretty sure how I feel about it. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't take me beating Sonic Forces to know I felt meh about it. You know, it, yeah, right, I, exactly. I, I kind of already knew like, that. How how amazing would the ending have to be for it to really move the needle on that? Exactly. I mean, really, yeah, well, probably one of the games, and I've already talked about it in this podcast even, that I struggled with most was a ukulele, and I kept going back and forth between a like it and a meh, and I had a hard time with that. And I still have a hard, hard time with it. Like, I even think about it now, and I'm not, you know, I like, should I have given it a meh? Maybe I should have, but... You know, it's just something that you just kind of. Well, have I mean, how do you feel accept. about it now? Like, do you recommend it to people? Well, I'm I'm really curious to see. I mean, with the patch, I I would give it a basic recommendation. Like a you know, with the patch, it's just it's a pretty decent 3D platformer. So yeah, I like it enough. But it's it doesn't go beyond that. But yeah. I am kind of mm-hmm. curious to see how it plays on Switch because you know if they have, I mean, God, they 
had spent, so they've certainly have spent long enough preparing the Switch version, right? Like, I think we all kind of thought it would be out by now, so... I think, I think I was reading, and granted this is from them, so I, you know, I not the most objective take, but I believe I was reading that it's the most stable version of them all, like, in terms of frame rate, like, huh. it's also the only one besides the PC one developed in-house. It's the only console version, console port, that they've done themselves, so apparently, I believe it does run the best of the console ones, at least. Well, you know what? Um, that that might make a big difference to me. Because when I went to the ukulele preview event and played the PC version, I was like, wow, this game looks great. It runs super well. Oh, yeah, guys, this is going to be cool. And then, of course, the, the Xbox and PlayStation versions came out, and it was like 30 frames per second, tons of frame stuttering, and... You know, yet so I that yet might, I still disliked it. Yet I still disliked it yeah. when I played the PC version. So you did, yeah. And <laughs> I that, would have been true. I mean, miserable yeah. then with the Xbox or PS4 version. Holy crap! Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there is. I mean, yeah. You, it's still the same game, so there is an upper ceiling there where it's never going to be anywhere close to like a Banjo Kazooie. Obviously, I was reading their uh, like the improvements they have made with the recent patch in their blog post they made about the Switch version. And it sounds like there are some decent quality of life improvements there, as well as just some general improvements uh, to the game. Um, like I believe that it sounds like they improved the hub area. Even I'm Interesting. not quite, mm. I'm not quite clear on what exactly they did to improve it. But it sounds like it is better. So it will be interesting to see if the general reception is better on Switch now that people are coming to the game, uh, you know, for the first time for the most part with this enhanced version. Well, we all have those, you know, we all have those game, you know, every game journalist or reviewer has those games they've reviewed where they're not still, even, you know, months later, not completely sure of the score they gave. But as, you know, as you're saying, Andre, if those quality of life improvements are that good, maybe I'll end up being completely vindicated instead of just like, <laughs> uh, maybe I should have given it a like or a meh, but, you know, maybe it'll end up being a pretty decent game after all the quality of life improvements. So, yeah, I mean, you were kind of hitting on just a larger issue there in general, like the fact I, mean, I like our review system that we literally just tell you what we thought about it. It's like, yeah, I like the game, or I liked it a lot. But the thing is, like, even that, uh, which I think is clear, is much clearer to me and much easier to arrive at a conclusion to than giving a number to something, which feels a lot more arbitrary to me. And everyone has different, you know, everyone treats numbers differently anyway. Uh, but even that, like, it just shows, like, it's tough to quantify any kind of subjective experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I, I mean, even at times, like, you may not fully know yourself how you feel about something. It's like, well, I think I liked it, but did I? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, am I sure about this? It's like, eh, and you yeah. mull it over in your head and uh, you just try to figure it out. It's, it's, it can be tough, but some other times you can just start playing a game and be like, yeah, I, I love this. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's sure. easy to overthink, for sure. It's easy to conflate the importance of small things in game reviews. Like, it's just, it's easy, it, they're easy to overthink, because then you start second-guessing yourself, and it's like, well, did I really like it as much as I think I did? And it's like, sometimes you just have to simplify your thoughts and be like, no, you know, let's not try to overthink this. How do I feel about this game? Am I having a good time? Yeah, I'm having a good time. Okay, I'm liking it. You know, it's just <laughs> sometimes you have to just simplify and not overthink it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. again, thanks to our uh, the way we, I don't want to say score, but you know, give our feelings on games. Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's uh it really does come down to, all right, how would I recommend this to somebody? If 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 they if they asked me like, how did you like it? And I would go, oh, I liked it a lot, or oh, I loved it, or yeah, I liked it. That kind of thing, and that that yep. like a- asking myself that question helps with making a review score so much. <laughs> right? Sure, it's like, what would you tell your friend you thought about this game? Oh, well, that answered my question. <laughs> yeah. Great, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, eh, what'd you think of it? Eh. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Yeah. So we, I guess, I guess, I, I, I should, we should add an official new score for myself at least. Oh, I didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't know where we'd put that in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> didn't, yeah, didn't hate it. Where would that? Even it just covers in? a wide, a wide range of scores. <laughs> that should just be your score for everything from now on. Just didn't hate it. I really, really loved it, but I didn't hate it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's okay, but I didn't hate it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh goodness. I do. Before we move on, I do want to say a quick thank you to all the people who've been really supportive over, supportive over my review. I've gotten so many messages, more messages than I've ever gotten for any single review from people saying, I wasn't sure about this game, but I watched a review and I can't wait to play it. I need to play this game. It looks fantastic. You really sold me on it, which isn't really my job. It's just, you know, given my recommendation based on my experience with it. But it still feels pretty good. It also adds that extra pressure. Like, oh god, I hope they actually like it <laughs> as much as I did. It's like because then they can look <laughs> yeah. back. It's like, damn you, Derek! I hated this game. I wasted my money all because of you. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, and, and that you actually touched on something there, Derek. I mean, I think we've we've probably gone over this in a in a previous review related question. But like, follow reviewers that you know you know whose taste they are because reviewers are people. You know, we're just, we're also subjective people. So like. If you are if you're following a reviewer, if you love sports games, but you're following a reviewer that doesn't really care for them, you're probably not going to agree with their scores on a sports game if they ever have to review one. So like, well, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have an example of that with Xenoblade Chronicles X or Xenoblade Chronicles Two with mm-hmm. um, Jason Schreier of a Kotaku review. Oh right, game. he didn't like it at all apparently, but he also didn't like the first one. So that kind of tells you right there. If you like the first one, maybe you know you won't agree with them. Not that there's still not value in that opinion, right? But mm-hmm. it, you can show you know it's good to have that to know where they're coming from, so you can better uh, understand if you should you know if it applies to you. Or it not. gives you a, a, yeah, for like, the people who haven't played before. It gives them a sort of a context for the barrier of entry. Is like how okay, I'm not sure about this. This person also never really played before, but he didn't really get into it. But you also got to read between the lines about what he thinks about the genre in general. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm. We actually used to have a section on our on our now defunct website, the, uh, the background check section, where we told you our experience with that series and that genre in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just give you. Oh, a that's actually really cool. I don't think I knew about that. Oh, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. it was no because uh, I never really did much with our website. Like I never really existed around it. Yeah, that's true. I yeah I I like that idea. It's just there's no real good way of impl- impl- implementing that in videos. Yeah, yeah. And you could do it in the, des- in the description maybe, but. I don't know if that many people read the description then. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plus, you're always trying to think of like things to say for. It's like, okay, I played this, played this. This is what it's similar to. Here's where I'm coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and plus, it also does give more fodder to people too. It's like, well, he didn't like that game, so why should I trust him? It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, and that's why it gets so silly when you know sometimes there will always be somebody with a comment like, oh, you know. I said that I love Shovel Knight Spectre of Torment, and Andre, you said you liked Breath of the Wild a lot, so there's always that person who's like, oh, uh, well, does that mean that Spectre of Torment is better than Breath of the Wild? And I'm like, no, it means that I, Ash Paulson, <laughs> loved Spectre of Torment, and Andre Seegers liked Breath of the Wild a lot. That's all that means. Yeah. Literally mm-hmm. is all that means. I don't think yeah. any one of us ever compares, like, you know, our thoughts to, to uh, other games we reviewed, you know? Yeah. It, that's never a line of thinking. It was like, okay, I gave 
uh, Breath of the Wild, at least in, we're going numbered scores here, a 7. But I like this one, so I give it an 8. But do I really like this more than uh, Breath of the Wild? So maybe I should also give it a 7 or maybe a 6, even though I think I like it more. It's one of those politics things about one of those. And thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. I don't even know if that's a common thing with other reviewers. But I, you know, I... I when, back when we did have star reviews, I did kind of wonder, like, okay, how did people... This is what I thought of the, this game and what I think of it. Then I had to push those thoughts from my head. It's like, no, that's stupid. This is how I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. What? No, reviewing games, it's a, it's a risky business. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, Ash, what's your, what's your topic? All right, well, my topic this week comes from Link from the Future, who says, Hi, GX. How do you guys feel about video games relying on ambient noises and very quiet instruments rather than just having typical music in the background? For example, Breath of the Wild has a lot of moments where the music is extremely quiet or not there at all. Love the podcast. So thank you for the kind comments and for the uh, question link from the future. And um, I love both approaches. I, you know, In general, I will say that I'm the kind of guy that, that prefers a... A, an ever-present soundtrack so you know I, I like having music constantly playing on loop wherever I am you know but on the other side of that Breath of the Wild soundtrack is perfect for Breath of the Wild and there are other games you know survival horror games also make you know great use of ambient soundtracks and those are perfect for those games so you know even though I prefer more traditional you know video game music style soundtracks you know there are certain games like I can't really see Breath of the Wild working with a Wind Waker or Ocarina of Time soundtrack where there's music always playing. It just wouldn't work. It's not meant to be in that kind of game. So I really love both approaches, and I think that both approaches can work, can be particularly appropriate for certain games. Um, but, you know, if you were to ask me, yeah, just in general, if I were to choose, you know, one kind of soundtrack just to listen to forever, yeah, I'm going to probably go more toward the traditional looping music kind. But you know, Breath of the Wild would not be Breath of the Wild without its ambient soundtrack, and it's phenomenal. So it really is, I think, on it kind of comes down to a more kind of like a game by game basis, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I kind of fall in the same path. I, I do like my traditional music, and especially after playing Xenoblade Chronicles uh, Two, which has a fantastic <laughs> yeah. soundtrack, one of the like one of the best this year. And there are so many good tracks in that, that just mm, they're so good. Uh, they really are. Uh, I, I can't imagine it with just an ambient soundtrack. I think you'd lose a lot of just the grandeur yeah. of that game. Uh, it, it, it's funny how it like you maybe could get like the typical uh, uh, ambient sounds like Breath of the Wild did, but I think you'd be losing something. It wouldn't really fit for what they're going for, and I think that's where it all comes down to down to uh, down to for most people about whether they want ambient or um, actual soundtrack. But you know it's. Because uh, you can use those soundtracks for Breath of the Wild, for Resident Evil, or what have you, to pump up specific particular moments because all of a sudden, hey, you do have music and there's something to them. And uh, it's all about using your tools in the most effective way possible for what you want to come uh, get across with your game. But what's really interesting and I'm really kind of fascinated by is that uh, once you beat Super Mario Odyssey, and I don't, I don't think this is a spoiler... Um, you get a you get access to the jukebox. You can play any song you want wherever, and all of a sudden, yeah. where Mario Odyssey had these moments where okay, I'm not in the main level portion. You're exploring the desert. You're not getting much sounds. It's all ambient stuff. But thanks to this uh, jukebox, all of a sudden you can have music playing wherever you go. So mm-hmm. it's sort of I think that is like sort of the experiment. Like which do you prefer? <laughs> 
I mean, so I'll always defer to the developers. Like, I think it's cool that that was a feature in Mario, but mm-hmm. I prefer experience of the game that was meant to, and it would feel weird to me going through the entirety of Mario Odyssey with Jump Up Superstar playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> as much as I might be tempted to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think there's, you know, I think both approaches can work. Um, I think Mario Odyssey uh, pulled off pretty well. I know some people think it didn't have enough music, but I thought it had a pretty good, pretty good mixture there. Um, you know, I didn't mind the ambient sounds, and I think you know, having that the ambiance can definitely enhance certain moments. Like, you, I think uh, you mentioned Resident Evil Four. Like, there are times when you would come back to the village at night, and you really only hear uh, ambient sounds, and I love that. Like, really made it feel more unsettling than it would if it had like music, you know, playing the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though, I I'm actually going to go. I'm going to disagree with Ash here. I think we did lose something with Zelda without the music. Um, I think the ambient sounds like it, they worked at times, but it felt too quiet uh, for me in general. And I think you, with music, you can convey so much more than you can, or I think music can allow you to convey so much more. So, as an example, when I reached like a snow or any cold area in Zelda Breath of the Wild, I never felt that temperature difference conveyed to me. Whereas I felt like it had been much better in past Zelda games. And I think that might be because of the music. Where the music did help convey, you know, like it just helped add to the, to the thematic, mm-hmm. to, the, to the, you know, the whole idea that they were going for for that area. Where you can convey that coldness through the sound. Whereas Breath of the Wild never did that for me. And it just felt, and it, it also had the effect of making every, every area kind of feel the same as well to me. Like it never, sure. the areas never felt too distinct because they all sounded pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in I don't know if I necessarily want music blasting the entire time in Breath of the Wild, although that's something that's never really bothered me either. Like in Harvest Moon, um, the music is pretty repetitive, and I still liked it, <laughs> even <laughs> yeah. with the same tune day after day after day. Although in that case too, it also used occasional ambiance, such as at, at night or when it was raining. It would just be this rain sound effect, and it made those sound stand out as well. So I hope for the next Zelda that they experiment a little bit more with having more music again. Maybe not necessarily for the entire time. I think I suggested before, I think it'd be cool if they had, for like each general area, like have a major tune that only plays for maybe a couple minutes before it kind of fades out to being more ambient, before maybe coming back again maybe 10 or 15 minutes later. I don't know. Sure. I think they should experiment with them more, but I don't think they quite nailed it with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I agree. I, 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 while I do think Breath of the Wild soundtrack worked well for Breath of the Wild, I, I wouldn't want to see it in any other Zelda game. And I actually agree with you, Andre. I would, you know, it sounds like we're going to be getting another open world Zelda game anyway, kind of in the vein of Breath of the Wild. And if and when that happens, I would much prefer that to you know, them to try to strike some better balance between like traditional video game music and ambiance. Because I agree that there are too many moments in Breath of the Wild that are just silent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like one of my favorite moments and it might be because <laughs> ironically because of the uh lacking music otherwise uh was was ganon's castle like i love the music oh, yeah there. even though i was there for so pumped up yeah it was yeah, so it, it, good yeah yeah and even though i was there for hours i never got tired of it it's like you know i could use a little bit more of this throughout the other 150 yeah. hours i spent with the game <laughs> same thing with the boss fights the boss fights had phenomenal music and mm-hmm. then you and i was like oh man this is great playing this game with like badass music and then i would finish the boss fight and then it's gone again i'm like oh no yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's that's never a problem in xenoblade (laughs) yeah um it actually it's it's kind of interesting when you do go back and forth between that like i'm gonna go back to resident evil 4 andre because you know you'd have your ambient sounds 
and then you'd mm-hmm. get into your fights where you're fighting all the off, off all the villagers, and then and you have ramped up music as you're fighting all of them, and then you finish, and the music goes away, indicating you're safe. And I'm not sure if that's yeah. a great thing for the game because all of a sudden, like, oh, I can relax. I mean, I in some ways, I'm like, okay, cool, I get to take a breath breather after this intense bit. Otherwise, other on the other hand, it's almost like, hmm. Now I know I'm safe. I don't need to worry about anything. There's not really much surprises here, and you know it just becomes it's it's not as it's not as terrifying. Granted, Resident Evil Four is not a terrifying game to begin with, but I think you get my point. Um, I actually found that game terrifying. So I I don't think the game's quite as digital though as you're making it out to be. Mm-hmm. Like I think if you I think the music can it's been a while since uh, I played go so, away yeah. and uh, yeah I think the music can go away and you can still encounter enemies for instance. Okay. Um, not not in every area. I think it's area dependent. Like when you're in the in that one windy valley area, yeah. Once you clear all the enemies, then you know you're safe there. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the game. I, mean, I thought the game did it well. I see what you're saying, as I, or I see your point, but um, I will never point out a fault with Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> yeah, I still want to see you play through all of Resident Evil Seven. Like I know you played a VR, but I think I'd be curious to see what your thoughts are if Seven F you got through the whole way through. Yeah, that game scared me too much in VR, so I'll have to go <laughs> nice. back without VR. Well, you know, speaking of being scared too much, though, I kind of going back to, like, I, you know, I think to a degree this some, somewhat depends on the genre. I cannot imagine playing any Silent Hill game with anything other than the ambient soundtracks they have. Well, it's called Silent being, Hill. Huh? Well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it yeah, it's Silent Silent Hill. But, like, those games straight up would not work with, tra- with traditional video game music soundtracks. They wouldn't work. They wouldn't be as scary. I mean, they, they might be scary, but I, I can't see them working. By the way, I apologize for the awful sound in the background, if you guys can hear that. Uh, I have construction going on at my apartment complex, so apologies for that. But, um, yeah, I can't see Silent Hill w- working with anything other than the ambient soundtracks it has. And those soundtracks went so far toward making those games even more horrifying than they already are. <laughs> so, yeah, I really do think it kind of depends on genre, and that goes both ways. Like, I was thinking about you guys, um, about Mario Odyssey when you guys were talking about it, and I was kind of thinking back to, you know what? Uh, in general, because of my kind of predilection toward traditional video game music, I preferred the Kingdom... I didn't, I didn't realize this at the time, but I think I mostly preferred the kingdoms that had traditional game music, mm-hmm. like the Cascade Kingdom, uh, Bowser's Kingdom, uh, the Lake Kingdom. Like, in general, I didn't like the Sand Kingdom, for example, because so much of it is ambient. And when I think Mario, I don't think ambient. I think rollicking video game music. And so, to me, those two didn't quite mesh well for me. And so, yeah, like, thinking back on it, I really loved the kingdoms <laughs> that had cool music that just kept playing. Yeah. I think what we're coming down to is that ambient music can work we just all prefer actually having music there because it just seems to enhance it so much more. Yeah, I think the absence of it uh, can be more meaningful than the than kind of like the random or not random, but like uh, than the inverse, I suppose, yeah, where you sure. have almost no music and the and with the occasional track. Uh, in fact, I have a good example of this. The original Half Life had almost no music except in a a few key areas and it always just seemed so out of place to me in that case not that it always is but it really stood out to me and not necessarily in a good way I'm like well I actually wish I just kept it selling the entire way at this point <laughs> but it just felt so jarring um yeah I mean I, I guess thinking about this more like I've never really had a complaint of a game having too much music yeah. <laughs> like this yeah. game has too much music yeah. I can't play it <laughs> no such thing <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I mean I do agree if Silent Hill had music I, I might agree with it then 
But I feel like it's been restrained enough, I mean, especially when it comes to horror, that it's never been an issue before. Um, whereas with Zelda, it did seem to be a pretty stark contrast to most of the previous games. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's just like you were talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Derek. Like, I mean, I played the, the original game. I know exactly what those soundtracks are like. And as a JRPG fan in general... You know I love JRPG soundtracks. I would never, I wouldn't even consider looking at Xenoblade Chronicles 2 if it had, like, an ambient soundtrack. Because that's not what I want from a game like that. You know, I like, it really, it's just, it has to be right for the game that you're playing. And and I don't, you know, again, going back to Breath of the Wild, I do wish there was a little more omnipresent music. But at the same time, I really do think for that game that what they landed on is closer mm-hmm. to what worked than something more traditional. But I do think maybe the balance could have been a little better. Where it works best is with the, the fact that you get music every time you encounter a guardian. Yeah, that's that's always. So you know, and that's part of it. I think for me, and I've touched on this before, not in this exact context. But I went, I forget how long it went. I went like 30, 40, 50 hours before I like had a, my first true guardian encounter. <laughs> um, yeah. So, me so too. I was hoping for that music. Yeah, I'm like, oh, where's it? Where are these fights at? Where's the, where's the awesome music? And it took me forever to get to that point. And by that point, you know, by that time i had already you know an established opinion on the game for the most part as we kind of touched on earlier as well so i mean also how you play that game can affect you know mm-hmm. your encounter with music even yeah, yeah. exactly huh. one thing i will say is that one of my favorite things that, that games do with music that doesn't happen really in any other medium is that is dynamic soundtracks like in banjo kazooie or even ukulele yeah. or you know when the when the music does change in real time and it's obviously the same song but the the you know the instruments change the the rhythm the tempo changes even the key could change but it's it, or, it changes in real time you know uh, along with where you are in the level and I love stuff like that oh that's brilliant mm-hmm. I mean I wish that's something that were that were done more often yeah uh, we and we've seen the kind of elements of that used in uh, other ways too and less commit or in uh, in different games like in Mario Kart when you're first place if you're far enough ahead oh, yeah. you'll get like an extra instrument to the sound uh, which is just a really neat touch to kind of you know convey some information while just Making you feel good about yourself, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the first time that we even saw... I mean, really, if you think about it, that is kind of like a, a super modern 2017 version of the same basic thing that happened in Super Mario World when you got Yoshi. Right, Yoshi. You mm-hmm. got a Yoshi's back, and suddenly you've got this little you know drum going along you know with the song, and it's so cool. And it happens for every level that Yoshi's in, as long as you're riding him. And I, even back then, I thought that was the coolest thing. It's true. Yeah. Man, we got some good questions this week. <laughs> got, yeah, we got pretty Thank involved in them. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. We actually answered questions this week. Yeah, exactly. So. It's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, all three of us, no less. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, yeah, I think that takes care of it for episode 83 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. And, of course, if you want to support, support us further, you guys can uh, back us on Patreon. Uh, for just $1 a month gets you these podcasts three days early every Friday, as well as offer, offering up topics like the ones we just answered here. So again, thank you guys so much for your patience in waiting for us to get back to these podcasts. Uh, should not have any more delays like we had in the month of November uh, going forward, uh, unless Nintendo gets really crazy again. But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for episode 84. Till then, bye. Bye.